Hello everybody and welcome to the Chip Up Podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host and I'm here every Tuesday deciphering the wonderful world of golf from the past week. We have a lot of interesting things to talk about today so if you like what you hear go check out our website at www.chipoutgolf.com. You can also find us on YouTube and Instagram at chipoutgolf and on facebook.com forward slash chipoutgolf. Also if you have any questions that you'd like answered on the show email us in at chipoutgolf at gmail.com and we'll get to those right away. So let's get straight into the show today. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got a lot to discuss from this past week of golf. We've got the Women's US Open. We've got the Belgian knockout as well. But first, we're going to start with the Memorial Tournament, Jack's Place, Murfield Village. And this was a very, very exciting day of golf. Patrick Canley ended up shooting a 64 in the final round to win the tournament by two shots over Adam Scott and 19 under par. And the way he played down the stretch, we have to start with Cantley. Because the way he played was just simply phenomenal, especially on the back nine. He was fantastic on the front nine, but when he got to the back nine, he was just relentless. I think Kaima was at 18 under at some point. Kaima ended up finishing third at 15 under par, and he held the overnight lead. But Kaima was up to 18 under at one point in the tournament. And Cantley, you know, was starting the day at 11 under. So if you told Cantley before the round, oh, you're going to have to get to 18 under, you know, just to tie Martin Kaima halfway through the round... He would have been thinking, I don't really fancy my chances here. Maybe he would have been fancy his chances. The level of confidence he's playing with at the moment, you know, you wouldn't put it past him to say that. But the way that he managed to consistently stripe his irons right at the flag and his woods is just his approach shots in general. His driving, you know, he wasn't finding the centre of the fairway every time. He was finding the fairway, which is all that matters, but he's getting a few nice kicks and things like that. But the way he just took his irons straight at the flag. He knew he had to be aggressive because he was starting the day four shots behind Kaima. He knew that he had to really, really, you know, drive in there, drive in there and just keep pushing and keep pushing, keep making birdies. And to be honest with you, the 64 that he shot could have been a lot lower. He missed quite a few birdie putts. I think he missed some on 12 and 13. He basically, the last two birdies he made in the last six or seven holes were just from par fives when he hit them the par fives in two and he had a simple two putt. And, you know, he nearly holds some real bombs, but he missed a really short putt for Eagle and a really short putt for Birdie as well. Both of them short of the hole. And you're thinking after playing so well, he's done this quite a few times this year where he's come from nowhere to just put himself right in the mix. And then all of a sudden maybe he realizes in the mix and he has a, a little bit of a nervous few holes and it looked like this was going to be the case again because the way that he tentatively putted even though it was for an eagle putt it was just testament to the quality of his iron play and obviously his his approach play with the three wood as well but the way that he fought back from that and kept pushing kept pressing he never was in real trouble the only time he really missed a green on the back nine was on the last hole where he hit this lovely little bunker shot looked like it would be thin for a minute and if he thinned it into the back rough then all of a sudden we could be looking at Adam Scott as the champion but he just got it clean enough hit the back slope rolled it back down to about 10 feet and he gave himself a chance to make par but no worse than a bogey he had a two-shot lead at that point as well and then obviously he went up and rolled it in anyway for a special moment on the 18th green but the way that he sort of continued to push down and every single shot was right over the flag I've said that a few times now but it really was rare to see I don't think I've seen a performance as as good consistently on the final round as that in a long long time 
It was one of the best final rounds I've seen. You know, it, it reminds me a bit of Rory McIlroy at Quail Hollow all those years ago, like 2010, I think it was, when he won. It was that same sort of, he was in that same zone. Nothing would phase him. Even if he missed a putt, nothing would phase him. And it was just an incredible win. If you don't know Cantley's story, he's been in the doldrums a bit in the sense of his personal life. He's had terrible injuries with his back, which has kept him out for pretty much four or five years. After he'd, he was pretty much the most hotly touted amateur since early 2000s and maybe even Tiger Woods. That's how, what his potential looked like when he was coming onto the PGA Tour. And then he obviously had a tragic accident, which I'm not going to go into here, but you know, you read it, you're, I'm sure you've heard about it or you can read about it online. But the way he's overcome that and now he's a two-time PGA Tour winner, it looks like the kind of the sky's the limit for Cantley a bit. The only thing that I really don't like from Cantley is the slow play. And it looked as if he sped it up a little bit on the final round today. But the slow play, I I'm, I can't really forgive slow play in any, any circumstance. So if Cantley can quicken up his game, he'll be a very popular player. But again, slow play is the easiest way. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Slow play is the easiest way to get fans against you. So hopefully that's not the case because Cantley seems like a really decent guy and he's had some tough luck in his life, so he deserves a break. And the final round that he produced today is worthy of winning any tournament. And, you know, Jack Nicholas was clearly impressed on the final green when he was shaking Cantley's hand. So not much more to be said on Cantley other than he could be a real threat for the US Open. I'm going to do a US Open preview show next week. Stay tuned for that. And I'll probably be mentioning Cantley's name because the way he's playing, he's up into the up near the top 10 in the world now, I think. He's looking a threat for a major. That seems the next natural step for Cantley. So a fantastic win for him. But a few other interesting performances as well at the Memorial. And if you look at some of the names in the top 10, there's a lot of different storylines of a lot of players in the different stages of their career. Finishing immediately behind Cantley was Scott, who finished in second place. And Am Scott actually fought really well in that final round. I mean, it was... He didn't have quite his best stuff, but he was struggling to keep up with Keimer at the start. And then Cantley, obviously, when Cantley overtook Keimer. And nothing was going for him until he sort of got on a couple birdie runs. Uh, he got a back-to-back birdies, I think it was, in the back nine. And all of a sudden, it looked like Scott possibly had a chance. And then, as Keimer was falling away, we realised that Scott was Cantley's only real challenger. And by the end of it, it's, that was the only way. And then, when Cantley obviously held 10 foot to Scott had to hold his second shot from the fairway and he wasn't able to do that. But it was a very noble performance once again from Scott, but he hasn't won in three years. And you think the way he plays consistently, it's not like Kaima who hasn't won in five years, but Kaima hasn't been near the top. Kaima's lost his game completely. And for the second time, I think, after his first spell where he sort of seemed to try and hit a draw, to get round Augusta National and then for a couple of years he was really off his game before he came back to win the US Open five years ago which was his last victory but for Scott Scott's been in he's had his game with him for a couple of years now he had a bit of a, a dry spell as well but since pretty much 2017 he's been pretty solid and continuously in contention he's never quite reached you know the high heights he's only threatened to win I'd say a handful of times but that doesn't mean that he's not been up there and he's not had his game with him so I think for Scott for a player of Scott's caliber and the player who possesses a swing like Scott you know it looked for him to pick up another win soon so that he can try and 
you know, progress again on his career and look forward to maybe the Olympics, to the President's Cup and most importantly, another major championship. For Keimer, the German who has been pretty much unseen in at least in American circles for the past, <laughs> since he won the US Open really. But obviously in Europe, we've been I've been keeping tabs on him myself at least. A couple of weeks ago, I put him in my picks for the British Masters as he's got no chance to win. He ended up finishing, I think, in the top 15 or maybe in the top 10. But I just didn't have confidence that Kaima could get over the line. And pretty much since he blew a huge lead in Abu Dhabi, which I think was in 2015, he hasn't really seemed the same player. I mean, it was one of the biggest leads blown in recent memory. He had like a 10-shot lead or something silly at some point in the final round, and he ended up losing that tournament. Since then, he hasn't really got back in proper contention where you think, this is it, this is the one where Kaima's going to win. But this week was definitely that case. On a big tournament as well, the Memorial is a big tournament, and he was producing flawless golf. He was producing the kind of golf that we see, we've become accustomed to from Martin Keimer back in the day, where he would shoot a 500 round and then the next day he'd shoot another 500 round and then the next day he'd shoot another 500 round and all of a sudden he built up a huge lead. Obviously the standard of golf was really high this week so his lead wasn't massive. He only had two shots over Adam Scott and four shots over the rest of the field. But the way Kyle was playing and the way he even started in the final round he was, he'd built up a four shot lead or something after nine holes as but just before Cantley started ended up you know, getting his charge in. It was probably after nine holes for Cantley, it was a four-shot lead for Kaima. But the way he kind of fell off at the end was never really what we associated with Kaima. But since he's had a few stumbles in pretty much his last three or four times he's been in contention, it's fair to assume that Kaima is lacking confidence and desperately needs a win. And I say that because Kaima of old in 2011 would have put this tournament away by four or five shots, no matter how big it was. He was just the best player in the world by quite a way in that year. And pretty much around that time, I remember thinking this guy is going to be one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world, for a long, long time. That was how good Kaima was. When he lost it, he hasn't looked the same since. Even when he won the US Open by eight shots, which is unbelievable for a player not you know who's not necessarily considered in the same breadth of legends of the game, to win a major by eight shots is an unbelievable achievement. Yet still, when he won that tournament by eight shots and he won the players previously, in like the month prior, he still didn't have the same quality of golf as he did in 2011 in terms of consistency. Okay, he had a, a fantastic week, but it wasn't quite the same as when he was winning the Abu Dhabi Championship three years in a row. That was levels of golf that, you know, still stick with me is he had a sort of an aura about him that very few players have. It was the aura of, I am truly the best player in the world. Even though he's only ranked world number one for eight weeks officially, he was the best player in the world for probably 18 months, I'd say, until McElroy, uh really hit form in twenty in the end of 2011. And so to see Kaima struggling like he did in the back nine this Sunday. And he had a little blister on his hand, which you could use as an excuse, but he would have been playing with that for the, the entire time. So for Kaima to sort of fall away like he did, okay, he would have had to produce something special to beat Cantley or even match him. 
just to shoot a one on the back nine under that kind of pressure would have been something special. But it just shows to me at least that he he didn't really feel that he he was capable of producing the golf necessary to catch Cantley. And that's a shame, really. I do believe, though, that this is a huge step in the right direction. I think that's it's not really a controversial opinion. This is a huge step in the right direction for Kana. And it's the kind of performance that he can build on with the US Open just next, just around the corner next week. And I say that because Kaima is a big game player. He's a big time player. And he's not afraid of big moments. So if you put Kaima in pe at Pebble Beach and a tournament he's won before, this is his last year of exemption as well into all the majors. So he really needs to uh, try and get back into the top 50 in the world very quickly. The way he can turn on his best stuff when he needs to do most if he can continue his form and sort of just have good vibes of the US Open, you know, he's won the tournament before. He could have a performance even better than this. He could potentially win, obviously, of course. You can never rule out Kaiman from a major championship, especially showing form going into it. But if he can sort of build on this performance, finish in the top five, perhaps, be in contention and just get some good vibes going, then the rest of the season is is there for Kaiman. It's great to see him back, really, in, in contention because he's got one of the f most fluid golf swings you could ever wish to see. And it looks like 2011 Kaima, the swing. He changed it. He, he got a bit flatter uh, in, in the years where he struggled trying to hit the draw. And it looked more like a, a kind of a lash at it. And he didn't really look like his body and his arms were in complete sync. But yesterday, it was the same, the same kind of ever so slightly over the top, cutting across the ball, hitting fades, pretty much an L on every tee, on every, uh, from fairway to green. And, you know, you don't need to do anything else. He showed just by hitting a fade every single time he hit a golf shot that he could be the best player in the world by doing that. And, okay, he's probably accepted the fact that he doesn't, you know, he's not going to be an all-conquering player. And he's probably accepted that he may never even win the Masters. But if he can go back to what he knows and he can go back to that swing, which it looks like he has because it looks really, really good this week. If he can continue that with that swing, then, you know, like I've said before, the world's the oyster for Kaima this year. Quick little note on a couple of other players before we move on to the Women's US Open and the European Tour. Mark Leishman and Hideki Matsuyama finished in the top, uh, top six, which is good performances for them. They're continuing their good form. They're both major threats always, of course, so look out for them at the US Open. Kevin Streelman ended up finishing fourth with an exceptional finish. And I was, I was thinking about this the other day. Streelman is probably the streakiest player on the PJ Tour. He can just go for six or seven birdies, and he always does it on the back nine on Sunday, it seems, like three or three times a year, where he'll just get on fire and he just will not stop making birdies. And all of a sudden, he's... Finished him. He's put himself in the top five, top three, even won a tournament. Like he won a tournament with seven straight birdies to finish a couple of years ago. There's very few players that I can think of that have that kind of capability and do it consistently like that. And he's not necessarily a superstar player by any stretch of the imagination. But to be able to do that and get big finishes, and that's, you know, that's how he makes his living, it seems. It's really quite cool. So good to see Struman having another one of those weeks. And a couple of other big names that stand out in the top 10. Firstly, Tiger Woods who finished in the top 10. Very, very promising performance in the sense of his health looked good. He he looked in good form. 
And obviously, all he was looking for this week was just get some good vibes, get about, you know, try and get a top 10 finish, which is exactly what he did. He wasn't thinking about winning, I'm sure. He just wants to get some good golf going, get back in the swing of things before the US Open. Obviously, not playing before the PGA was a big mistake, but he wasn't able to, it seemed, like his back wouldn't let him, which was a big worry for me. I've mentioned on this podcast before. So to see him playing out there before the US Open, only a couple of weeks after the PGA, that's uh, that's promising signs, really, really promising signs. It means he's feeling good and he'd probably take, I'm not sure if he's playing this week, I don't think he will be, he'll take this week off and he'll head over to Pebble and he'll be feeling good about himself. So that's a really, really, really effective week for Tiger, very productive. He'll probably be delighted with his work. And lastly, Spieth. Now, I've been talking about Spieth a couple of times again in the past few weeks, but he is 100% back now. In terms of the player we know, you know, he never had a, an amazing long game. And his long game right now is pretty terrible. But his short game and his wedge play is exactly where it was when he was winning majors, when he was world number one. He's holding putts, he's getting up and down from everywhere. He's finishing in the top 10 in the last four weeks despite spraying the ball a million miles off the tee. And I was saying this um, in a previous podcast, but I'll say it again. If he can lower his dispersion and bring it into a much tighter window with his irons and his his uh, and his woods, you know, he'll be, instead of struggling for par on par fives, he can be getting around the green so he can be making his up and downs for birdie. And then he, every now and then he'll get some good iron shots, he'll find fairways. All of a sudden he'll be shooting 66s pretty routinely despite not having his best stuff. And, you know, that's what you kind of expect with Spieth in the sense of his short game will be what gets him his scores. So if he can sort of make that the case again and just eliminate any errors from the long game and allow his short game to do its business, then, yes, Spieth is going to win again very, very soon. And it's not a given in the sense that he's really been struggling with his long game for a long time now. But, yeah, that is the next step. He's got to get the swing tighter it's very loose, very languid, not, and he never had a great swing to begin with. So he has to be, he has to be swinging very well for himself to be able to put himself in these positions to shoot good scores and eventually win tournaments. But again, he's back. He's away from the doldrums. You know, if we can forget about the no top 10 in one year. He's got four in a row now. He'll be back inside the top 20 and then top 10 in the world very soon. And, uh, He'll probably be in contention at the Pebble Beach as well. All these players seem to be because there's a lot of big names at the Memorial. And the very, very last point from the Memorial was actually something that happened on Thursday. And Matt Kuchar ended up being another controversy where he sort of seemed like he was cheating a little bit to try and get a preferred drop because his ball, it was unfortunately finished in a divot, but he was saying that it was his ball mark and it had become embedded in his own ball mark. And two referees came and told him that it wasn't. Everyone on TV said it wasn't. But he was, you know, really going after these referees and really not taking their word as gospel at all, even though he should be, because if a referee comes and says, nah, mate, you're not allowed the ruling here, you should accept that because the referee knows what they're talking about. But again and again, Kucha is proving that he, he all of his smiles and everything is just a, a facade behind, you know, there's... There's definitely some grit and some not very nice stuff behind that smile. 
and he's been sh- he's shown that all this year and basically he's becoming one of the least like golfers on tour now every now and people are really it's incredible how Kuchar went from one of the most popular golfers last year to when all these re- revelations about his real personality and his true colors come out he's just become very hated i'm sh- i'm sure people are not going to be booing Kuchar you know like no one's going to be booed on the on the tour even patrick reed isn't booed but Kucha is not going to be cheered for anywhere near the same level as he was. And rightfully so, because he doesn't deserve it, in my opinion. Okay, so moving on now to the US Women's Open. And that was a fantastic tournament as well. I mean, there was a lot of really good golf on this weekend. It was very difficult to keep track of it all. Obviously, you could watch the Belgian knockout in the day. And then the US Women's Open finished a couple hours or so later than... Memorial, so it was easy to switch over and watch the end of that. And it was a really, really good tournament. Jung Hung Lee's six ended ended up winning by two shots actually at six under par. When it looked like she may not have even, you know, there might be a playoff going on when Celine Boutier was looking like she was going to uh potentially tie Jung Hung Lee six, but she kind of bottled it a little bit at the end. But Lee six ended up the champion and it's the, probably the first time someone with a number other than, you know, the second or the third, like Davis Love the third, someone with a six in their name actually wins. And if you don't know the story, it's because there's six players on the on the Korean LPGA tour, all called Jung Hung Lee. So they numbered them one to six based on the age. So Jung Hung Lee six is the youngest. And she decided to keep it in a name for pretty much on the LPGA tour as well. And it's an interesting little, you know, idiosyncratic characteristic of of Lee to have that attached to her name it sort of gets people interested gets people on board with with her what she's doing at least but the way she played will get people on board first because the golf swing she has I was really surprised I'd never seen her play before until this week but when I saw that swing I was like wow how have I never heard of this of this player before she gets it completely on plane and her rhythm and tempo and the way she keeps her head still. That's something I always think makes a golf swing look really, really good is a still head. When it's sort of just the rotation of the body around around the sternum with no head movement and no sort of chest movement, upper chest movement at all, other than the rotation back and the rotation through. I think that's a sign of, you know, you see of Adam Scott, Louis Oosthuizen, the really smooth swingers. They don't move their head at all. And Danny Willett does that really well as well. So if you watch his swing from face on, it looks so good. But this is exactly what Lee Six does with her swing. Her hair is very, very still. And it's kind of just a rotation. You see this with a lot of women's players because because they don't swing so hard at it. They've got excellent balance and excellent um, stillness in the upper body and in the lower body, in the feet. So they've got all very technically proficient golf swings. But with Lee Six, she's got a little bit of speed as well which means that she, she's got a bit of power, but she's not just sort of tapping the ball down the middle of the fairway. She's giving it a bit of a lash, but she's got the balance and she's got that still head. And the swing just looks glorious, really does. But when I first saw it, I thought she was like German or French because she was called League. When it said Lee Six, there was no space with the Six. So I thought she was called League. And she had like a, she has blonde hair dyed. So and I saw her from behind. I was thinking, oh, you know, she's just a German player I've never heard of. 
And I looked again, and I was like, oh, wait, that's a six. They must have mistyped that. <laughs> and I saw she was actually not European at all. She was Korean. And then this was their story. And But it's it's really interesting. And what a player she is. She fully deserved her victory. She she put in a great round on the final round when everyone else sort of faltered. She shot under par while pretty much everyone else in contention shot over par. And that proved enough to, to get the win. Celine Boutier really could have put some pressure on her, though. She was five under par, which was one shot behind Lee, who finished at six under par, with three holes to play. And she just hit an eight iron or something. I think it was an eight iron or a seven iron to about two feet to have a birdie putt on the 16th hole. And she missed it. She lipped out pretty badly as well. It was nowhere near going in the hole. And you just had a feeling that she wasn't, she hadn't hold, she hadn't been holding out fantastically throughout the week, but she was still in great position because her putting from distance had been really good. But she just did not look like she was going to hold that putt. She missed it. Then she couldn't get close to the pin on 17. And then she just kind of fell away at 18 a bit. And I think she made a, a double bogey actually, which was a bit of a shame. But it wasn't impressive at all from Boutier. You know, that's not what you want to see So falling away so badly when you kind of had the lead. And you'd had such a good opportunity. It wasn't as if you'd missed a 10-footer and then weren't able to make a, bird, a birdie on the last two holes. Fair enough. But it was a three-foot putt kind of opportunity you dream of. And you can't have something ask for something better after you've hit an amazing shot. So it was a shame for that about that for Boutier. But another player who a lot of pundits at least tipped to win was Lexi Thompson. And obviously the American media will always go for Lexi Thompson in their picks over the Asian players, the, the Eastern players who've come over to play in the US Open. So for instance, like Sir Paul Azinger said, oh, if Lexi Thompson puts well tomorrow, she's going to win this tournament. Such a silly comment because... She actually did putt really well and she ended up losing by two. She shot two over because her long game deserted her. And then all the pundits were like, all the commentators were saying, oh, I can't believe who would have foreseen that she wouldn't, you know, hit the ball well today and she would putt so well. And think golf is such a funny game. It's like you've never played before. One day you can turn up on the golf course and you can just be holding everything, but you can't hit the green. So you're holding everything for par. And then one day you can turn up, you hit every single green and you don't hold a single putt. And the one where you don't hit a single green, compared to the one where you do hit a single green, you're going to hit the same score. That's just how golf is sometimes, even for the very best players in the world. Because they're playing really well, you know, over a prolonged period of time, doesn't mean every single day they have it. Every single day is a different day on the golf course. That's why people go and warm up before the round so they can see what the ball flight's doing. So they can see if they're pitting it well or not, if they have to make adjustments. So they can see what they have to do with the putter. All of these things come into consideration. So to just dismiss all the other players in the field, such as Lee Six who ended up winning and say Thompson's this is Thompson's to win, was a bit naive, I felt. Especially when Boutier, who was ahead of Thompson at the start of the day, was much closer than Thompson. And Thompson ended up birdieing to finish the birdieing the last to finish two behind Lee, who bogeyed the last. So Thompson wasn't even really in that much of contention. But again, this is not a knock on Lexi Thompson at all. This is more of a knock on Paul Aziger and that lot. Because Lexi is a lovely, lovely personality and you really want her to to succeed. And I think a few more majors, I think she only has one major at the moment. And you think with her talent and her pedigree, she should be winning a few more. So 
it would have been really nice to see. And obviously all the American fans are just desperate for Lexi to win because she's the, the darling of American golf, American ladies golf. So th- that'll be interesting to see if she can pick up a major sometime soon. But it was a fantastic tournament. It was a really, really good tournament. And it was the largest prize money in the history of women's golf. $5 million purse and the, the winner gets $1 million. I think it was the largest first place prize, the first women to ever get a million dollars for winning. So Jong-un Lee Six became, <laughs> just won the biggest prize in the history of women's golf. And a million dollars is fantastic. It just goes to show, I spoke about it a little bit on last week's podcast, that with this extra money, all of a sudden, ladies golf is becoming a very, very viable option for elite female athletes who used to look at ladies golf and think, oh, the pay is despicable. You know, why would I focus on golf if, you know, if, they, if they're focused on becoming an elite athlete, why would I focus on golf when I could go into tennis and earn so much more money or I could, you know, focus my talents elsewhere? Because a lot of these players do have multiple talents in the sense of if they can follow one route or another, one path or another to take them down different roads. And, you know, if they put their time into it, they've got the talent on both sports to to succeed at a professional level. So that's really good to see. Obviously, the prize money could be increased much further and get closer to the men, you know, if not equal to the men at some point. But we spoke about this on last week's podcast. I'm not going to get into it. It's just fantastic to see a million dollars as the prize for a, a female golfer. And hopefully that continues. It definitely makes all the tournaments much more interesting. That's for sure. And finally, we'll talk now about the Belgian knockout now. The Belgian knockout is a very innovative format from the European tour. And they've, they've got a lot of these tournaments. Like this week was the Belgian knockout, obviously. And next week is the Golf Sixes, which has become quite a big success now. It's moved to Cascais in Portugal. And it's it's proven to be quite a big success. It's not still not drawing all the big players because the prize money's not there and the prestige is not necessarily there. But the Golf Sixes is, you know, it's becoming much more accepted. And a lot of golf clubs, for instance, my local golf club at Hull Golf Club, are doing the golf sixes format. But the Belgian knockout format of nine holes is also becoming quite popular at golf clubs too. And this week was a fantastic tournament. I love the Belgian knockout idea. It's a full field. So you get all the European tour hopefuls in and you get a couple of big names. For instance, Thomas Peters was probably the biggest name who hosted the tournament in his home country of Belgium. But interesting enough, to start with Peters, he shot the worst round of any player in the first round. He shot seven over, I think it was. He was last after day one. This is Thomas Peters. This is the guy who won four points at a Ryder Cup in America three years ago. This is the guy who's been touted to win majors, who's been in contention in majors. And you think that with the talent he has to finish last in a kind of, it is a little bit second rate field in the sense of it's not even a really strong European tour field. In his home country as well, in front of his home fans, he would have been very disappointed with that. He ended up battling back quite well and got quite close to the cut mark, I think it was. But still, he didn't make the cut. He didn't even get into the top 64 who advanced to the match play. But the match play element was fantastic. You know, 64 players advance and they fight each other over nine holes stroke play. So the winner has to play 54 holes of match play knockout and basically 36 holes of, you know, getting into the tournament. So the winner has to play 90 holes over the week. Miliotzi and Darius Van Driel both played 90 holes and were in the final. And it's, sorry, it is a long week, but I love the format of nine-hole knockout because it's got a lot of the same 
features of match play in the sense of you know you do what you do is based on your opponent rather than on the golf course but you're never out of it you could be four shots down going into the last hole and you can make those up if you're four down with nine to play you're done by the the sixth hole you know so everything would be over so quickly it's nice that it's nine holes and anything can happen. You get some really exciting moments and nothing's certain. And I really like that about it. People like Brandel Chamberlain, who were criticizing the world match play um, a couple months ago, whenever it was, really incorrectly so. Obviously, Brandel Chamberlain's opinion has no worth whatsoever in the world of golf. It's he's just there to, you know, get people sort of irate in the sense of a lot of American personalities are there to do that, to get people mad with stupid opinions. But in terms of Chamberlain, anyway, he, what he was actually saying was he didn't think match play was a good format because it wasn't fair. And obviously, like I said, this is just really stupid, but this would be his perfect uh, remedy for that in the sense that it's a qualifying tournament, so which is what a lot of amateurs, which is how a lot of amateur match plays work, where you've got 36 holes stroke play and the top 64 players qualify, or maybe even the top 128 players sometimes in amateur events qualify for the match play um, portion of the tournament. And then over nine holes stroke play, you're playing your opponent. And Miliotsi was the best player who ended up winning in terms of relative score under par. And that's because your opponent is playing under par. So sure, you can go through if your opponent has a quadruple bogey, but it's more likely that you're going to have to continuously play good golf to win the nine-hole match play because these guys are so good. Most people were winning with two under par against one under par. Every now and then they get lucky and you have an opponent who shoots over par, but it wasn't consistent. You have to really shoot under par to be consistently going through. So it's got that match play element, but it, it takes out a little bit of a, vari a few variables in the sense of, oh, you might just come against someone who birdies the first six holes and then you lose. No, you know, someone could birdie the first six holes and you can still fight your way back if you if you play really good golf and they have a mistake in the last. So that would obviously be good for Chamberlain. But in just, it's never going to replace the match play format because match play is so brilliant. But it's a really, really interesting format and I like it a lot. I think this could be definitely a future for a bigger tournament. Obviously, the PJ Tour are nowhere near anywhere implementing this kind of um, intuitive format. Like the closest they've got is the Zurich Classic, which is a, a two-person format. It's a bit like the World Cup of Golf, so it's not really that new. But this is a really interesting format. And the final day was really great. Miliozzi, who won, Guido Miliozzi, is a real, real showman. This guy is a potential star. If he can continue his progression and get towards the top of the game. He's got star potential because he's so entertaining. He nearly jumped out of his shoes on a couple uh, tee shots on that front nine of the, uh, in, in front nine, excuse me, the nine holes of the final. He nearly knocked out of his tee shots. He nearly jumped out of his shoes. He hit his tee shots so hard. And then he hit a stinger unnecessarily, but he hit a huge stinger, like 240 yards, where Van Drill hit his driver 250. And he nearly went as far as Van Driel's drive. It was pretty much the stinger of the year, I think. What a hit that was. And he's he's a real showman. He really is. His short game can be tightened up still. You know, he, he didn't go up and down a couple of times when he could have done because his long game was really imperious. But it was the kind of performance that kind of 
showed him to the to the world a little bit more, at least the world of the European tour. His win at the Magical Kenya Open earlier this year was great, but it wasn't a it was still a bit of a challenge tour event in the sense of it was challenge tour last year, so people are not too aware of the Magical Kenya Open just yet. But to win this tournament in the style he did with some viral videos as you know, the stinger and when he's flying out of his shoes pretty much with the driver. That that was fantastic and Miliotsi was just awesome. He really, really was. It was a pleasure to watch him and I, I hope he's in contention more often. He's been a bit of an inconsistent character this year, but if he's playing this golf like this, where he says he's so confident that he knows he can win, why wouldn't he win again? And why wouldn't he do it in absolute style? He could become a real fan favourite, this guy. So a really fantastic win for Miliotsi. Miliotsi's actually in Niall Horan's management stable, Niall Horan of One Direction fame. And that is a really interesting thing because Horan was tweeting about the Belgian knockout a lot during the week. And the guy's got 40 million Twitter followers. And every single one of these tweets is getting about 30,000 retweets. The Belgian knockout must have been absolutely loving this. They're getting all this free publicity from a huge, huge superstar in the world of just celebrity, really. And for him to be backing the Belgian knockout because he's got a management golf company, Modest um, Management, I think it is, a mod- Modest Agency or something like that. To be, he had Ewan Ferguson and Guido Moliozzi, who were both in the final four, and he was thinking, oh, what am I going to do? You know, how am I, who am I going to support? And he's tweeting all this stuff out about this. It's fantastic for the game. And you have to say, people like Niall Horan are great for golf. Because even though golfers don't want to admit it, more celebrity there are a lot of celebrities who play golf but more celebrities who advocate who advocate for how you know golf is cool who show that the cool side of golf will enable more players to um pick up the game as a result so it's only a good thing that Horan is is so invested in the game and it's certainly a good thing for Miliotsi to have someone like him at his side to you know give him the support necessary for him to go on and do great things so it's definitely one to watch for Miliotsi. He is, he's got star potential, really, really does. Okay, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show today. We'll be back again next Tuesday, of course. But in the meantime, check us out at www.chipartgolf.com to read articles, play quizzes, and check out the podcast. Also, you can follow us on YouTube and Instagram at chipoutgolf. Or you can go to facebook.com forward slash chipoutgolf and like our page there. Or of course you can still get in touch at chipoutgolf at gmail.com and send in your questions and I'll answer them on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening again everybody and happy golfing everyone. See you next week.